So one of the things that I wrote in my thesis was it's amazing how similar parkour is to what is Gutsmouthian gymnastics back in like, I mean, we're talking about the 1700s. And then we get to play with that conception and that idea, but it's also really similar to the way that Okinawa and karate developed in conception to like the way that it was between China and Japan. And it becomes all kinds of really interesting when we come to talk about the way that it's predictable. Yeah, it's 100% predictable. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 90, Alex Pavlotsky, Ethnography, Leadership, and Trajectory. A picture is worth a thousand words is a statement that Alex Pavlotsky lives by as a cartooning ethnographer. He explains ethnography and anthropology and shares his thoughts on parkour and where it's headed. Alex discusses leadership and his project Word Magic, as well as his goals for an illustrated thesis. He unpacks his observations on parkour practice, community, and defining our own future. Alex Pavlotsky is an anthropologist, comic artist, blogger, and parkour practitioner based in Melbourne, Australia. He is the creator of Parkour Panels, a satirical comic where he discussed relevant issues in the parkour community. Alex earned his PhD in 2016 and traveled extensively while working on his thesis, training with, and studying global parkour communities. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 90. 90! Yikes! I don't want to jinx it, but 100 is coming up fast. In fact, we have all the episodes through 99 recorded, and we're starting to work on 100. Each of us has things we want to share for you for episode 100. Did I say 100? Have I said 100? But we want also to know, well, what do you want to know? What do you want to hear from us? Reach out, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, our forum, email, team at moversmindset.com. We'd love to hear from you in any way, shape, or form. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much for staying up very late or getting up very early to join me this morning. Thank you, Craig. I'm I'm loving the sexy voice. It's it's like become a thing and then it makes me self-conscious and I really am not like people can see me. So anyway, this isn't supposed to be a power game. Let's just talk about movement. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So there's so many things to talk about. I have actually wanted to talk to you for years and and actually I'm stop saying actually, I'm glad that it never came together before this because it took me a long time to figure out what I was doing with the podcast. So now that I think I know what I'm doing, I think our conversation is going to go places where it wouldn't have gone if I had called you three years ago kind of thing. So I'm not going to take the time to let's unpack ethnography. Let's unpack anthropology. Let's not people. There's an internet, Wikipedia, go look it up. So having done all that, can you take me, take me back to that time Do you remember when you first figured out what ethnography was in the sense of like, that's a thing, I'm going to go do it? Well, I cheated. I mean, I I was an illustrator first. The big thing about me is I I love drawing. And I'd done that all throughout my undergraduate degree. It was the way that I used to support myself. So the big thing about me was that I picked a project at the end of an honors degree Um, which is, you know, at the end of an undergraduate degree, where I said, I want to draw superheroes, and that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. 
And then I was just like, who are the best superheroes? And a friend of mine was just like, you should do this whole parkour thing. And then from that point onwards, it was just a matter of what is appropriate places at which superheroes exist? What is appropriate places at which ethnography exists? And then I had to go and hang out with people who did parkour, which the first time I did it was horrible because it was just a group of people doing really like quadrupedally. Um, we all know, <laughs> we all know like the art to do placement. Like um, for me, I am physically active, but it was not the level of physically active that I had. And then, and then, and then I got down and dirty with you had to put my hands in the ground and then went onto the forums. And then I guess, I don't know, at some point it felt real, Mm. weird and real. And the the entire notion of you felt weird, felt real. well, Well, yeah. I mean, the big thing that happened was that it wasn't drawing people anymore. That wasn't the point anymore. It wasn't the reason why it would enter the community. What happened was it was too complex for me to draw superheroes out of. <laughs> yeah, and that was a lot of fun. And then, and then that process of ethnography just sort of became practice, just being there and doing things. Um, anthropologists, well, it's central for us to have an identity crisis. If we don't, then we're bad anthropologists. And that was the point at which I had in mind, where people were just like, yeah, you should just go out and train until you vomit a little bit yeah. or, or, you know, crawl around or do all these terrible things. And then turns out I really like it. Mm. It's Stockholm Syndrome in a way. Mm. And then, and then afterwards, I had to disassemble it. So I'm not sure whether or not I'm answering your question anymore. But you know, my point of ethnography was just like chase the superhero idea, get caught up in it. Turns out really hard, way more complicated than I ever could have imagined. And now I'm in it, and now we get to practice it. Did it? So sometimes, you know, what's the theory of other minds problem, right? Like, has anybody else experienced anything like I do? I often, like literally, often look at younger people, and I'm not grouping you in that group. I'm, I'm grouping you in my group. I often look at younger people and I think maybe it's too early for them to have, I almost said jumped on, taken on something that's going to be so transformative because I, I would want to put words in your mouth, but you and I agree that like this really winds up, parkour winds up being transformative or art through plus one or free running, you know, whatever I, I love. Sorry. I read real fast and I read like everything I could lurk about you, including you. the second half of the, I think it's she can trace article. What happened to the second half of that? There's an interview of you and there's like part one, but there's no part two. Um, and mm. there's this idea that I have that it's, obviously a transformative practice, but it's almost like you have to you have to throw enough darts at the board to like have a rough shape of what you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. And then, okay, now with some beginning of like negative focus, having cut off the stuff, that's not going to be who you are. Mm. Then you're like ripe or you're, you know, you're, you're fertile for that mindset to take hold. And then I, I love some of the points you made in that article, um, which we'll link to, where, where you talked about like, yeah, we're not really all doing the same thing. <laughs> we're, depending where you go, it's, it's, hey, it's anthropology. It's specifically created by the space and the people and the language and the environment. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about 
how having, let's say comparing, having absolutely no idea of who you are, let's say you're mm-hmm. 14, yeah. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, versus yeah, yeah, having yeah. some clue, like 34 maybe, or just pick numbers. Like how do, how do you see that play out in your experiences like in Sudo? Right. Well, the big thing about it is, so I want to remind most of the way through the stuff that you've said. <laughs> Go wherever you want. And, and like, and the, thing about, <laughs> and the thing about you referencing articles that I wrote means that I actually know the articles that I wrote, which is fantastic. So central to a lot of the idea that I've published previously on parkour is the idea of discovery of self. I, I want to be sure that I'm answering this question correctly and say, well, it is completely different to discover yourself when you're 14 and it's completely different to discover yourself when you're, you know, our age, us squeaky old men. The distinction, the distinction comes down to, I guess, at the end of the day, that's a hard yakka question. Yeah. Central, central to it, central to it is the capacity to go. I mean, so many of the people that I, I worked with who were younger men, mostly, because, I mean, the reality is a lot of the parkour people back in 2009 were younger men. And when yeah, you look at that situation, yeah, and that's a big deal, were able to project and deliver a notion of themselves that was really kind of cool and unique. I mean, what we're talking about is like skateboarding videos, what we're talking about is the way that people can move in that particular way. Parkour is amazing because it delivers so much of the stuff that we want to do and we want to be unique and crazy as young men, but also young women. It offers the capacity to move in this entirely exciting way. But then when we get older, it does the thing that everything does to movement practice and makes us slow down just a little bit and think about the philosophy and process things in an entirely different way. Not that any of those people who are younger were missing the point. But, you know, when your knee is broken, you want to sit down and you might want to pontificate about the various points that we want to make. So um, to answer your question, I guess the big thing that I would say is shouldn't be a difference, but there is a difference. Everybody experiences parkour in the same way when they're little. And, I mean, my three-year-old is the best mover that I've ever seen. Yeah, seriously, kids are made of rubber. <laughs> yeah, and then and then eventually what happens is that physical capital is a thing. I mean, we do damage to ourselves if we if we expand it too quickly. My my best example of that would be when I was working in Eastern Europe. So when you see all those amazing Eastern European traceers, most of them kind of are fucked by the time that they're thirty five. And you've got examples of people just just blitzing their, their physical capital in that particular way. I'm not sure if I'm answering the question. You don't have to answer the question, Craig. <laughs> this Craig, is not a thesis Craig. dissertation. <laughs> I know, I know, but 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 I want to have a conversation with you, and I and I don't know if I'm doing it right. So I, no, I, I me. Uh, sometimes I think that. So, I've got so many directions I can wander in. And, well, and you can wander anywhere do. you want. If you wander really, really, really far, I'll be like, hey, come back here. Yeah. So one of the things that that's like stuck in my head and I can't decide if it's stuck because it's on this topic or if it's just stuck because it struck me when I read it was a comment. And I think it was in, geez, I hope it's, she can trace is where that interview was a comment you made about, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but being able to spot leaders. Mm -hmm. And when I see people 
when I see people, you made a comment like, it was like offhand. You're like, well, you were talking about this. And you're like, yeah. And I learned to like spot leaders and like write a whole book about that. And I went like, stop, like, like, wait, yeah. give me, give me, give me, give me. Like, okay. so, so I don't know if you want to go there or if you want to continue talking about like what you've seen in studio. Like I, I really, we can go wherever you want to go. I'm just, I'm like, yeah, oh, I, um, I, mean, I mean, we can. Yeah. Yeah, well, that'd be, that'd be great. I'm, and I, I, I'm sorry if I'm pivoting, but yeah, absolutely. So leaders are people who want to shape culture and Craig, you're one of them. People who are able to have a pause and a conversation that's central to our conception of leadership, like anthropologically and outside of things like parkour, people who write history, people who create chronicles. And uh, for me, it was really central because one of the things that happened to me was I got to spend four years being funded by a university traveling around um, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It was fantastic. And and the big thing that I learned is that you want to find out who the head of the group in any group that you meet is. Because uh, ideologies filter down. And 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 one of the things that's really interesting about conceptions of leadership is that leadership revolves around the idea of interpreting. So you want the person who interprets various levels of culture. So, like, for example, for anybody who does a movement practice, the people who are at the top table are not necessarily the best movers, and they shouldn't be. Some of them are older. Some of them have been injured. What they end up doing is they end up sitting down and saying, this is what our movement practice is. This is the way that our culture functions. And it's really exciting because, I mean, I'm really keen to do research on parkour. Because we pretend like it's a new practice. But every pattern in terms of leadership and the way that we share information and the way that we practice is just repetition of a whole series of of movements, like from karate to taekwondo to rock climbing to windsurfing. Like, it's amazing to see. We like to think we're special. Really not very special. And, and movement gurus. So, so this idea of sitting down and talking about, you know, what makes a movement's movement practice what it is. Like, honestly, leaders are the people who step up and say, here is what it is. And then you get to pick the different types by the way that they define that practice. And I've seen a, about a bajillion of them. And, Can, and they get I it, would... Can they get it wrong? <laughs> like, is it... Is it necessarily true that somebody who succeeds at becoming a leader, whether or not they wanted the leader, you know, that crown, uh, is it necessarily true that if they succeed, they must have the right ideas about community and that philosophy? Or can you get it wrong? Well, like, and- well, well humanity is, is heading off a cliff. I mean, we're ecologically destroying ourselves and that's not news. Which means that, yeah, we, we have a lot of leaders who are doing the wrong things sometimes. Well, and yet we have the capacity to, maybe they're to do things leaders. better. Like I was thinking maybe part of, like that's what I was fishing for was, is it, is that make them a, I want to say like, kind of like a false prophet. So if you're, if you're, if the proof, you know, like the proof's in the pudding. So you wind up with a wrong, like, oh, look, we're, you know, we're steering off the cliff. Yeah. That means this leader must actually not be a leader because they got the wrong answer. Or is it possible to no, really God, be a leader no, and have the wrong answer? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Of course. I mean, leaders with the wrong answers all the time happens everywhere we look. I mean, leadership is the definition of the way that people practice. 
And this is a very anthropological idea. I mean, it's, and I would like to challenge you, Craig, if you would like to counter argue with me, what your conception of leadership is, what your conception of leadership might be, it, if, if it anyways interferes with the following, leaders define the understanding of whatever it is that people below them do. I'll buy that. I'll swallow that wholesale because I wouldn't have come up with something that eloquent, but I think so on the spot while being recorded, leadership is in my mind about having vision. And I don't mean um, like, you know, I have a dream that the whole world is just being like able to see. So having vision and then being able to figure out what things that you conceptually see are salient to whatever the heck it is we're doing. So yeah, I see a whole bunch of stuff, but that aspect of it, that's a thing that we need to all pay attention to. Not so much a, hey, let's all go this way kind of thing. That would have been like, if you forced me to define leadership, being able to distill you know, the things in the landscape. Well, well, to me, like that sounds like leadership is neutral neutral well, neutral qualities of the way that we want to well, what you've just defined is sort of a classic notion of leaders as always doing the right thing or like you know the right thing. they're the person who have the vision but if my vision is to drive you off a cliff i mean if i was to be a cult leader then i'd still be an excellent successful leader Right. But I would just be leading you right off the end of that cliff. That's I mean, the way that way. we want to go. Yes. Yeah. So, so the big important thing about it is that, okay, so value-laden. Once upon a time, when I was midway through my research, I had strong ideas about the way that parkour should be and movement practice. But then I, I actually realized that that would be bad. And then I looked at the history of movement practices and realized that oh, we're kind of following a trajectory. So, I learned through my ethnographic experience that mm, I should be more neutral, less ethnocentric in the way that we have conversations about leadership. Still hurts my feelings sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, everybody has, you have your lived experience and one of the, like, one of the few things that I think make humans really great is our ability to be cerebral uh, in it, you know, yeah. to be embodied and then to also go like, hmm. Um, and where was I going with that train of thought? Uh, more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some. I've got some. Well, yeah, no, I've, I, again, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. If, you try to, if you try to wake so, me up at midnight for a call, I'd be like, <sighs> um, you mentioned, I heard you mentioned, you were talking about trajectory. You mentioned trajectory. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if I even want to go down this side street. I say, yeah, it's like walking down the street and like you and I are spotting side streets and alleys. And one of the side streets that's pretty obvious here is to talk about the trajectory, the trajectory of parkour mm. as a, and I always like, I actually consider myself a student of Arthur Duplassement. I've trained a lot with the French guys. Um, mm. So I, I always, I say parkour because we're talking in English, but I, in my brain, I'm thinking ADD. And, and what I'm thinking is, is this, arc, and I think you're going to, I think I know what you're going to say, is this arc, this trajectory um, going to go anywhere surprising or, or could we really look at anthropology's previous work and go, oh, we know where this arc is going to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Well, the trajectory of parkour and displacement practices 
is really going in a very predictable way. I'm looking forward to schools opening up with various movement practices and variations. I'm looking forward to um, the formalization of parkour. I mean, one of the things that could happen is that we could sell it to schools and then we'd have to tone it down just a little bit. All of that has happened before with most movement practices. Could it go in a different direction? I think it probably could. The fun thing about going in directions that we've never gone in before is we don't know what that's going to look like. And, and, so, and, so, and so we get to make that argument. I'm, I'm quite excited about the practice because I think that one of the things that it does is it, it presents, I mean, this is where the neuroanthropologist, where I get really brainy with the brain stuff, gets really excited about it because the thing about it is the current presentation of this movement practice is really specifically adapted to our environment in a way that is really fascinating and spectacular. I thought I had a spike coming out of my head for a second there. <laughs> but, then, but, then, but then it tends to practice. It tends to pause and practice in a way that most sort of martial arts or movement practices have gone. So one of the things that I wrote in my thesis was it's amazing how similar parkour is to what is Kutzmouthian gymnastics back in like, I mean, we're talking about the 1700s. And then we get to play with that conception and that idea, but it's also really similar to the way that Okinawa and karate developed in conception to like the way that it was between China and Japan. And it becomes all kinds of really interesting when we come to talk about the way that it's predictable. Yeah, it's 100% predictable as a trajectory that we get to follow. But at the same time, you know, what an amazing open capacity. I mean, it's going to be like potentially also free climbing and free surfing and all the free variations of all these sports, which is a lot of fun to play with. Sorry, I'm leaning in on that. No, no, I'm never at a, like sometimes I I lock up and it's not because I'm at a loss for things to ask about. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh man. Yeah, too many things. from the bouquet of. But but in which direction would you like to go? I mean, like we can go neuroanthropology or we could go into culture. Would you like big or would you like small? I'm more interested, I mean, I'm not, I don't have any, uh, uh, what are those things? But what I want to say is what, I'll let you choose. So is there something that when, you know, when people come to these interviews, they're I've done a few of them. People are like, I don't know what to expect. I'm like, don't expect anything. It's just two people talking. Was there was there something that was like, boy, I really hope we managed to get to dot dot dot. No, 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 really. So okay. it'd be like well, then I'll ask you um, another question. Uh, yeah. Your thesis, and I I think you said you were gonna work uh, there's a book coming, like you're you're doing more. I forget where I read that. I read a lot. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit more about what your goal is for the book? Like, yeah, why yeah, why why do you have to write a book? So I'd like to I'd like to do a graphic novel. I'm 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 an illustrator, so comics are almost more important than anthropology to me. Um, and I think that we have a pretty poor basis of communicating neurosciences, which is the other thing that I really like. So what I really like to be able to do is sit down and secure some level of contract or conversation with being able to do a graphic novel of parkour. And that would just be really exciting to me because the big thing about it is parkour is an adaptational technique. We've got this this city environment that we live in and we've come up with a way to sort of slice our way through it. And the environment stresses us out. 
and we figured out a way to break it. And at the same time, we're oversaturated with sort of baseline information. Nobody really reads anything anymore. That is my perception. I agree. <laughs> and and, Although and I'm going and to keep writing. <laughs> Don't stop. No, keep and writing. you should. And, and, and so will I. And so will I. But the big thing about it is I think that there's a sense of in which we can just sort of, we can do visual communicative stuff. I'm a huge fan of comics and, and I make them and I love them. I have a graphic um, novel on podcasting. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere. <laughs> like I, I mean, I could find it. But I my my library is categorized by the. Oh, I've got a bookshelf somewhere back here. It's mostly <laughs> yeah, and it's but the same stuff. So so the book that I want to do. Yeah, it's the the book thing that I would want to do would be able to sit down and and draw comics and. I guess it would be sliced up in a way of saying, "Hey, here's parkour." And here is the way that it interacts with the environment. And here is the way that it shapes our brain. And then here is the way in which it's kind of similar to a bunch of other things that we've done. And then afterwards, where does it go? What can we do with it? And that's sort of the general structure. Hope that helps. Yes. Uh, people listening, you're not going to get this. It's a sight gag. What is behind you? There is a, a drawing that looks to me like either a physical map. It's on the chalkboard behind you. Is no, that a... It's a that, that's my kid's coloring book. Where yeah, you but, can buy the sheets of paper. That's, so that's just a pre-printed thing that, that he's been coloring yeah, in? Because yeah, it, it almost looks... My brain's like, oh, I can't quite see it. Almost looks like somebody doing... Like oh, a giant cityscape. Yeah, cool. or something. Sorry. I really enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, my brain has been going that for some, for some reason that fits perfectly in the back. Like we're talking about cityscapes, graphic novels. Yeah. Yeah. What, there's probably a name for that. The neuro, my, my neurological urge to see, like, you, you know, you see, here's a Rorschach. What do you see? Oh, I see my mother. You know, like <laughs> I'm looking at that going, I see people doing like dash vaults and going over walls. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in a horrible position where I've, I've given you no prep for this particular interview and I have to apologize. But no, Craig, hey, I don't hey want prep. do you mind if I say, what is it that made you get excited about the idea of doing movement interviews? No, I don't mind if you say that. I'm just kidding. So I often fall back to defense via grammar. Okay, so I actually literally had no idea what I was doing when I started. And what happened was... I, as part of like my personal journey, and this was not planned, rediscovering movement. I, I like started like par what when I was 42, I think. And, and mm -hmm. just like started trying to move in a community that I just fell in with a really awesome community. And as I went along, like we were mentioning before, you, if you're older, you tend to like need more recovery time. You're a little slower. You tend to be thinking about things more. And I, over years, I just found that I was sort of like crossing off pieces of the space. Like, I'm not really into that. I'm not really into that. I'm not really into that. I don't want to be on an influence. I don't want to do Instagram. And, and what I was left with was I just kept like narrowing in on, well, gee, every time I have an awesome conversation with somebody, I can love it. And so does, I'll boast, so does the other person. I have friends, really good friends who I met because I had a great conversation with somebody. The, the somebody got up for another whatever. And the other person went, hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so. I just like lurked the shit out of that conversation. Like, so I found over the years that conversation, communication in conversation appears to be my shtick. Like that's the thing, like listening appears to be my superpower. And so I, I, if I can, if I can bug you, sure. um, what does was that the movement practice? Yeah, it does. But what was the movement practice? What was the moment in which you got engaged with movement? 
Ooh, the specific moment. Uh, I don't know, but I'll pick one. So I'm going to say, so I went to a class run by Adam McClellan before it was Parkour Generations Americas, but like this is not long before, but before that. And it was just a group, their group of friends getting together to, they weren't just jumping on shit, but they were basically jumping on shit together and finding their own parkour. Through a long, complicated story, I got invited. I didn't know any of them very well. I knew Adam like casually, like we had bumped into each other in circles a few times. And I went to a class and I don't remember what we were doing, but it was a push up. <laughs> it was like, okay, let's do push ups. And I had been doing martial arts for like 15 years. So I'm like, oh, yeah, push ups, right? So, you know, you could do one. Oh, like, like the moment was the first time that like the little brain inside the, you know, the, the cermac, what is it? The homunculus thing inside. Yeah, yeah, went, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And push up, you know, and like, and I went, Fuck. like that was the, the moment. And to me, I've always been deeply in love with the objectivity aspect of parkour. Like you can mm. lie to yourself in parkour. It does not end well. Like, you know, fortunately my lie to myself was broken by a push up, And then I don't really remember what happened the rest of the day, but like, it just became like week after week after week of like, just, Oh, you know what? I just need to shut up and show up like kind of thing. Um, so for me, that moment was like a purely physical all by myself. I mean, there were people around, but it was just me. It wasn't like I thumb wrestled and lost. It was just me. Okay. Do the thing. You know? Oh, I can't do the thing. Okay. I'm going to work on that. So yeah. That, very a very embodied and at the time i didn't have any of the terminology for this a very embodied experience yeah it was totally like i had already been working and sweating and i was already tired but it was like a push-up i can do that it's so easy not which is it's just like i mean and this is the central component that I, I mean i'm pulling on a thread uh, it's incredible to see how adaptive that practice is i mean the reality of this is i mean if we were to talk about it neurologically how reptilian to amygdala brain is disconnected in a whole bunch of ways. And you've, you've had a series of podcasts talking about the way that all these things connect. But I mean, the central thing about it is like, you found a thing that was an adaptive practice. It's something yeah. that is, that is something that, that connects <laughs> you, that connects you and associates you with the thing. And me too. I mean, as I said before, my research was all about looking at people who were leaping around and looking beautiful while doing it because I want to draw comics. But the reality is it's it's startling the way that we can have this moment of connection across movement and the way that it connects our cognition and the way it connects us to family, which is community and the way that it abstracts itself, which is just incredible. I mean, it's a great deal of fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and there's something ineffable in it. I always, I, a lot of times I pause and put the question because I don't want to tell Craig stories, but I had the privilege of spending two weeks, and I'm not exaggerating, two weeks with Jan Hanatra in, at their uh, summer camps in Cochevel and at his home, like, you know, like two weeks with Jan. And not only did I survive, but a, a lot of what I learned about it was that I was doing, I was going about things the wrong way I call it. Like just, I was bashing myself, like, you know, Here's here's parkour. I'm just gonna smack myself on it, you know, figuratively speaking, until I and it's like, no, you're doing it wrong. And I had noticed, like, you, like maybe two years before that, that there was something about what those guys were communicating or attempting. I'm like, wow, I kept like being drawn to it. And my French sucks horribly. 
and it took me forever to figure it out, but I was basically able to figure it out without having it explained to me in a white paper kind of thing. Mm. Well, I should say, I, they, were, they, various of them and their students were able to eventually explain it to me. I should be more clear. They were able to explain it to me through movement rather than, and I never asked for the white paper, but never having to have it be like conceptually explained. So yeah. my takeaway from that years later was like, that's awesome because that means that this could work like on a really large scale. You don't, if people don't read, that's okay. You can still learn this um, if you find the right, you know, if you fall into the right community. I don't know if I'm making oh, a point. Oh my I God, Craig. <laughs> no, Craig, dude, this is, that's where it is. I mean, where the fuck, what are we talking about with parkour? Once upon a time, there was a bunch of people who did a thing with like, you know, 36 to 68K internet that spread around that happens to become a global like subculture to the point where I speak to students who I remember, and this is how old I am. I remember like meeting people and going parkour and then like what to meeting people and going parkour. And they're like, yeah, that's that French movement practice. Yeah. Like it happens all the time. So the virality, like the, the stuff that you're talking about, the tackiness of the practice that it grabs onto you. My God, like, I mean, clearly this is really important and it's a lot of fun to work with. I mean, we've got like issues of heritage and we've got people talking about what is parkour, what is art to do placement. And we're talking about, you know, this person says this and this person says that. Where in any movement practice from, oh gosh, like pick a thing, gymnastics to jujitsu to anything that this hasn't happened before. Everywhere. And I'm so excited. I mean, here we are. We are at this, this record, this conversation right now will be referenced by historians to speak about like- who invented <laughs> parkour. Sometimes they because, wake out when I'm like, yeah. You know, we're, this, we're, we're this early in its movement. And at the same time, you've had so many people within your podcast who come out and point out the obvious. It's movement, man. Like, just move. Right. And, and then we have variations from all the breathing practices that come from India to all the stuff that have, travels all the way across. Like, it's, it's incredible stuff. So, uh, yeah you're in the middle of something really exciting and so am I. But how do we want to talk about it? That'd be a really good way to go. Yeah. I'm going to flail. To, <laughs> That's to, good. You know. I normally have to suppress the... It took me a while to figure out exactly where to put the microphone so that I don't regularly hit it with my... <laughs> There's like one safe space here. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, let's see. Who would be listening? I, I often... I, as you can imagine, I spend a significant amount of time thinking about the craft of like, how do you, I consider myself, like there's a bunch of people behind me stuck behind plexiglass and all, mm-hmm. you know, all I can do is bang, like, ask them about, you know, because they can't actually interact. And I'm just wondering, <clears throat> let's, let's go a little more nuts and boltsy just to, sure. just to say, I actually got a chance to talk to Alex. About. What's something that, and this is a common question, but what's something that you think people get wrong about? you or about maybe one of your projects which however you want to spin that i think people think that when i record history it is supposed to be contemporary so so one of the central components of the stuff that i've done is compare the way that europe and the way that america looks at parkour 
Mm. It's really interesting because you've got two big systems. One is a supposedly a collectivist one and the other one is supposedly an individualistic one. That's right. So, so one of the big things that ends up happening is that, um, well, what I saw like was what individuals that, do. They all try and make organizations that span. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look at the individuals yeah. assemble, right? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, and 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 that's fine. So, so one of the things that ends up happening is that people seem to think that when I'm speaking to one, I am trying to define a vision that is uniform, which happens a lot. Like. Hmm. A lot of our organizations within the English-speaking world are doing the rapid commercialization. And also, there's a strong sense of wanting to connect ourselves to a nation-state project. So people who want to build schools tend to want to make a lot of money and associate themselves with a government project. And I'm just like, yeah, that happens a lot. Here's the history of gymnastics. Here's the history of taekwondo. Here's the history of all these things. Simultaneously, people in Eastern Europe tend to want to um, associate themselves with the idea of keeping it really, really sort of grassroots and, and keeping it in a whole series of ways like associated with nationalism, which is kind of scary because it gets weird. And I'm just like, hey, we should probably just sit down and have a conversation about that. So I guess one of the big things that happens to me, generally speaking, is that I tend to speak to English people about how they should be more European and I tend to speak to European people about how they should be more English and then everybody hates me and that's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great, that's a great idea. Like what you're doing is great, but yeah, oh, you're going to get a lot of spitballs shot at you. No, oh, no. And, 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 and the thing about it is regardless of anything that I'll say, it's just going to evolve in a really sort of trajectory, predictable way. Yeah. Well, uh, who, who said be the change you want to see in the world? Like, uh, and and um, I have a, I, I'll admit it, I have a problem with quotes. And I just did another batch of quotes for another little toy podcast that I have. And a quote by Margaret Mead is currently stuck in my brain. And it is, yeah. never underestimate the ability of a small, passionate group of people to change the world. It's the yeah. only thing that has ever changed the world. So I'm like, yeah, you know, you know that, you know, being the person that goes, wait, I think this is what I should be doing, like for myself, that you just go and do it. And that's, that, that's, that's how we all co-create humanity, how we co-create society. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the exciting thing is we, I mean, as I said before, this is a big historical moment for our practice. Um, if yeah. you're talking uh, about parkour, but also at the same time, like, yeah, please. So I was gonna say magic word. M- M- Mia's M- uh, you have another project which I kind of went. What's that? M a g i c k magic word. Yeah, like um, word, word magic. So that, sorry, word magic. Like I don't yeah. know, I probably take notes. Does that f- that feels like that fits in here? Like that's something that you're creating that's related to the work you've done. Like you know all the hard work you've done. And like, well, yeah. let's, let's talk about that because let's get the word out about that. So one of the big things that. Um, I'm currently doing is so neuroanthropology, my way working through all the parkour stuff. And then also I kind of got sucked into the great thing about ethnography is that you end up getting sucked into a whole bunch of other practices. And I want to make it really clear. I want to make it really clear. And I'm blushing about this. This isn't about parkour, but there are terrible people doing community building exercises that are bad for everyone. 
that are very predictably bad that are all about power. And that was... So one of the things that happened to me was back in 2013, I ended up in Eastern Europe. And as part of my parkour practice, I met a whole bunch of neo-Nazis. Once upon a time, I was training underneath a bridge um, which was in Moscow and this young kid, the first person in three days of me arriving from the scene, came out and said, you're an amazing mover. Young kid. He was just like, hey, do you want to train parkour? I'm like, fucking A, this is yes. amazing. We get to practice. <laughs> in the wild, yes. <laughs> and, then, and then he's just like, yeah, I know a place that you should hang out and, and, and I'll, I'll send you a thing. And I ended up with neo-Nazis for two weeks. And that was I read, incredible. I, I read so, it on your blog. I read your, and it looked to me like that was a snapshot of the experience, but keep going. Yeah, but, well, well the, big, the big thing about that is um, it's not parkour. It's really clearly not. And, and the thing that I'm terrified is that people would think that I'm associating all of my sort of the work about word magic is, 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 is related to parkour. No, um, the big thing that it's associated with is bad masculinities, horrible leadership tactics, um, the tendency to want to undermine concepts that we like, like the notion of democracy and free speech. And I am an idealist. Um, I like those ideas. So when I see people really messing that stuff up and people doing really bad leadership practice, which diminishes the community and pushes things upwards, uh, that's the way that that project goes. I think I just opened up a can of worms. Do you want to lead me down? Give me the executive summary of word magic. So people are, people who are going, wait, what? Like, where is it? You know, what's the basic medium that it's in? Like, just give me like the executive summary of word magic. Cool. So the big thing is I want to catch it early. So I want to do a kid's book. I've done, I've actually got a whole bunch of kid's books in my resume as, as a thing that I've previously done. Um, what I want to do is not talk down and I want to, I want to identify poor leadership practices, what people would call narcissistic abusive practices, what people would define as um, social relational aggression. I want, I think it's quite important for us to be able to, as a community, to know when somebody is manipulating you, not because they're your friends, but because there's a big big plan and it starts really young and then the book that i'm trying to make is going to be hopefully an online adolescent sort of aimed at between 12 to 14 year olds mm. project that allows people to recognize when they're being manipulated but far more importantly allows people who are likely to do the manipulation to realize that it's not going to do them much good mm. There's, there's an internal process um, and the cultural conceptions are complicated. Craig, ask me questions. Mm. Oh, I got so many. First of all, yes, please. Please make said thing. Please make that happen. And, and like, we'll link, you know, people who are rewinding, we'll link in the show notes. And I'm torn between telling a story. So uh, I'm going to tell a quick story. I did not read that book. Obviously, it doesn't exist. But I never experienced anybody trying to teach me that material until I got to college. And I had a, a kind of college course uh, that was a distribution in a large lecture hall. I think it might have been the biggest course that I was in. And we had a great professor. He was an adjunct. So I mean, he doesn't have tenure. So like he can get axed at any moment. And it was a long, complicated course, blah, blah, blah. Over the course of like two weeks, 
he first, he had a very particular lecture style the way he always did things. And one day he was off his game, like looked a little nervous and you could just, I'm just like, something's up, you know, I don't know, personal issue, whatever. And like the class got out of hand. Now this is like 300 people in a lecture hall. So the class actually got a hand. Like we had a very like laid back, you could actually interact and like things got a little ridiculous. It wasn't a total show, but got a little out of hand. And then the next lecture, he shows up, he starts and he basically like slaps off the overhead projector. And he's like, guys, like, you know, you really screwed me over last week. There was a person in the front row, you know, where the clipboard was like, my advisor, you know, and like he was here to observe me in this class and it got out of hand. It was a complete mess and he was visibly upset. Our our instructor was visibly upset and he's basically like, okay, let's do something different. He's like, I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to write down a secret that you never told anybody. And and like, you know, I, I so dumb, you know, I wrote on the paper, fuck you, you know, like, no, I'm not, you know, whatever. But that's I realized in hindsight because I was already a pretty manipulative person. So it was like, I didn't realize I was being manipulated because boy, howdy, were we? It was a setup from like the previous lecture. The whole thing he did is all part of the shtick. After he did this, he said, I do it every semester. Please don't tell anybody because it doesn't work if you know it's coming. The whole yeah. thing was a setup. And there were people, this is a little sketchy. There were people who were like crying. You know, they had written like, you know, like, and they're like passing this over and putting it in a box. And then he collected the box of like, oh my God, secrets. And then basically said, I'm going to take this back to my office and shred it if you'd like to come with me and watch, you know. But it was, it was like a blatant, like, oh, you've all been manipulated. And uh, I don't think you're going to do that in your book. But I'm one of the reasons why I'm like, yes, please write the book was because I really wish somebody had showed me just one example of a way that you can really be horribly manipulated. It's, it's like that moment yeah. in a TV show when the grandparent says, I don't know, here's your best Christmas present ever. Everybody lies. And as a kid, you're like, what? <laughs> like that, that moment of realizing that manipulation is real like that, yeah. I think would be really great if it happened earlier for more people. I don't know. That's not a question. So it's just, well, no, no, but it's a, it's a point of story. I mean, I can give you a million examples of the way that people are manipulated. The simplest one would be get on board with whatever it is that we're doing, um, whether or not it's within the movement community. I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of fighting with everyone around me about ideas, which is one of those things that we used to do when movement culture was on forums and message boards. Mm. Let me take out my crane and just pick up my, uh, my beard because that's the reality. And, 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 but contemporarily, what we do is we want to get along. And, and one of the things that's really weird about that is the process of the way that every single one of us wants to get along and how that fits within, to an, within an ideology and the way that it's easy to move it around and manipulate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first thing that I would want to say is parkour is a fantastic movement practice that will get you down to earth and will allow you to ground yourself and it's kind of similar to yoga. But there's like a billion people who get excited about that notion and want to say, this is the new utopian alternative to the way that we move. Which we don't Scrap want to have. everything. We need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I mean, I mean, simpler way of manipulating. I mean, ideas of belonging. I mean, this is the thing that you want to challenge. The second that somebody turns around and says, "They," I mean, it happens all the bloody time. We're living in a weird political world. Just in case anybody is missing the context of this Under interview. A rock for- <laughs> yeah, we're in this really weird scenario where "they" is a really potent conception. And, and 
and and to me, like that's the beginning. I mean, what we call girl bullying, which is actually relational aggression, which is actually politics. Yeah, I thought you. <laughs> now. I thought you unpacked that really well. By the way, in uh, is that the We Trace interview? I think I was in that same interview. I thought you unpacked that really well in like eight little paragraphs. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Well. The big thing about it is that yeah, we like to pretend like everything is rhetorical and neat when the reality is the second that we start pointing fingers the first thing that anybody should do is to say why are they different from us and that really happens i mean the basis of manipulation is a pointing pointing a finger outwards yeah i mean this is just absolutely classic anthropology um from from archaeological to neuroanthropological to any kind of like margaret mead from the notion of the insiders to outsiders to the shaman, which is all fantastic work, I would say. Beware they. Beware of the concept of they, not, <laughs> not those theys. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. I don't know the way. I don't like the way that you're looking at me, Craig. I, I think you that you might don't be on the like wrong the side. No. I don't. I don't like it. Oh, sorry. What about my? <laughs> what about my look? <laughs> <laughs> I think but, just, but 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 having said all that stuff, like uh, for me, this is the really important component. I mean, I actually think that we are in this privileged situation where we're able to dissect what we would consider to be formally sort of chimp behavior, which is the classic sort of notions of stacking and hierarchical notions. Hmm. Hierarchies aren't going away. I am not against the Jordan Peterson conception of hierarchies. I don't think we start with a lobster. But, yeah, we're in this weird situation where we probably shouldn't have um, bullying at a corporate level. The reality is, I'm writing this kid's book, but the reality is that's probably the way that your boss treats you and middle management uses it as an existent technique. Yeah, if if it's the air that they breathe, even if they're not malicious, they're still going to... Uh, advocate they're still going to propagate that kind of behavior so even if your boss isn't malicious i'm thinking about specific examples even if your boss Mm -hmm. isn't malicious if that's what this job or playing this role is that's right guess what they're going to do yeah that's right and then the, the the interesting thing about that is in the global sense it makes them pretty miserable like and and this sounds hoity toity and touchy feely but at the same time, like, we've got hundreds of studies, hundreds of studies about the way that the, the sort of the push down that you have that carries people to the top mm-hmm. makes them horribly miserable. And, and, oh, hey, hang on. I'm seeing a link here. Back to the notion of parkour and leadership, the way that people articulate themselves all the way down. Mm-hmm. And also back to the notion of our conceptualization of the way that we interact with the environment. So for me, look, I'm an anthropologist and I like to hang out. I'm also a newer anthropologist and I also really enjoy nature and stuff. We can come up with a, a million justifications to destroy the world that we live in. <laughs> Probably shouldn't. <laughs> Probably should I already did it, right? <laughs> yeah. Having said that, isn't it amazing that I get to talk to you and stay up? Yeah, so the early hours of the morning. 
Is the sun coming up yet? Not quite yet. Uh, not quite. Um, and, and look, I, I hope this isn't a terrible interview. I worry that this is not well structured. But oh, no, I don't. We're enjoying this conversation. No, I in the beginning, so, okay, Alex and anthropology, Craig and podcasting and interviewing and conversations, I crawled up on, like, I've literally listened to like 5,000 podcasts. I'm not being hyperbolic. You know, like all your primary research, I did all the primary research on podcasting and interviews and I'm still digging it. Yep. And I, I initially, when I first started, well, it wasn't a podcast in the beginning, but when I first started on what has become the Movers Mindset Project, I thought I knew what I was doing. And then the more I learned, I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole bunch of stuff to learn. And I realized that actually the way to do this is the way I'm doing it, where like I'm prepared and then you like, okay, but now I'm going to go do the thing, which is have the conversation with Alex. And the way to have a really good conversation with Alex is to not be like, okay, we have been talking for exactly one hour and seven minutes. So this is the part where the listeners need to go like, which is what we have just done. Like we have just taken a little mental break. It's like just, it all happens organically the right way. And I I also think you and I I are modeling- I just want to make sure that you're getting what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as soon as I press stop, I'm going to go, Alex is a moron. I'm going to delete it all. No, (laughs) every single, okay, to all you people within the sound of my voice, every single freaking podcast guest says the same thing. I don't know why you want to talk to me. I don't know what I have. Like, I hope this is going to be okay. I'm like, yes, it's freaking awesome. (laughs) Like, it's like this. But I don't really pay attention to trying to create like an artifact here or a bigger project that itself is an artifact. I'm not trying to make an artifact that's supposed to help people or do anything. I'm like, oh no, I find this interesting. I do occasionally like pop the periscope up and go, am I? Yeah, okay, everybody, you know, okay, back to work. You know, make sure I'm not really doing something that's horrible, you know, like horrible for humanity. Um, But beyond those couple, like, you know, this this I think is a particularly, mm, I don't want to say guide star, but there are a few people that I've talked to I don't want to name names because I don't want to leave anybody out. But there are a few people that I've talked to where the conversation has been a little more meta for me, where I've been like, Mm -hmm. this helps me understand, like I'm standing on the bridge of the ship. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, this is, give me a little course question, but this is good. We're going the right way, you know? But then I enjoy having some of those more meta conversations, more high level, high level is a bad word, a little more orienting for me personally conversations mixed in with somewhere. I'm just like, I have no idea what we're talking about. We're just talking about motherhood and having kids. And I'm like, I don't know, this is fun. Let's have a conversation. So I, I, to me, I'm just, I'm just like scatter plotting. I don't know. I'm just throwing darts and then you back up. You're like, Oh, look, it's a picture. You know, that's all I'm doing. I have no clue what I'm doing. It's a pretty good way to go. Um, so I'm, I'm deeply excited about the notion of parkour practice being something that is shamanistic. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about, and, and look, I just recently pitched a thing for um, another thing that I would want to do, but... Um, Wait, you have more things than I, you can I do? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how many people go. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the things that's really cool about it is that here we are within this weird, fun movement practice, and here we are as crusty old men sitting down and settling the way that we want to move. Your pipe. <laughs> What are you yeah, about? that's a beautiful way to go. Um, but at the same time, like, my God, the transformations in terms of the way that we engage with the environment, yeah. the way that we get to sit down and decide that we now want to cut through the urban landscape. But more importantly, the way that... Um, so one of the cool things that I'd like to share would be parkour is really... And, and not parkour, but also a whole bunch of other practices is really effective at all slicing through bullshit. 
And what you told me before about meta, I'm trying to jump in on that idea. We should slice through bullshit. And and the big thing about that is that um, the second that you put yourself in a position where you're worried about your knees failing, that you want to land with your toes before your heels, that you want to land a giant roof gap, which is something that, you know, some of the proficient kid kids do nowadays. You just knock it off, right? Hey, they've never done it before, and I would never do a thing like that. But, I mean, having said that, moments of risk are incredibly valuable and incredibly rare. And I'd like to sing praises to the fact that we've got all these amazing movement practices that create trauma. I'm a big fan of trauma. Can we generate some trauma for the way that we live in our life? I don't know whether or not that helps you in terms of yeah, the way I, that we want to look I've at things. I've had a, I don't know, a, a, a thought, you know, buzzing around in my head about, uh, I, like I consume too much material, so I can't remember all the, where it got it from, but it was, the idea is about how or in what context is learning effective and it has to be difficult. Like the learning has to be like either uncomfortable or dangerous or like, you know, the, the, the struggle is a necessary component of learning. If it's all just like, yeah, it's all road, like just pushing the buttons on uh, brain fail. The What's the app for learning languages? <laughs> bothers me when I can't look up things. Duolingo. <laughs> just like duolingoing, you know, you're not really learning the language. It's just, you're not, you're not really yeah. doing enough hard mental work to learn how to use that language uh, as an example of a place where learning doesn't work very well. And I think for me, these conversations, like just conversations in general, I'm like, oh, this is really hard. Like I break a sweat, you know, and afterwards I'm like, oh man, I gotta eat a meal. I'm starving. Like, you know, cause you're like running your brain at like a hundred percent clock speed. Um, so I love you know, the struggle in the conversation. And I find I can figure out how to struggle just as much on a bouldering problem two inches off the ground as I can in a conversation with another person. I'm like, oh, I, I, I can figure out how to, how to struggle. Yeah, and I keep going back to you. How are you being coherent at midnight? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not being coherent at all. All right, so I'm just like I, I mentioned before we started that I will be mindful of your time because we could just do this until you know somebody knocks on your door like yeah, what are you doing in there? Which will happen at my house too. What? Let's do story time, and I'll just serve it at you and see what you do. Alex, is there a story that you'd like to share? I think a major one would be let's all just hang out together because the big story, the big story that I have is traveling across a whole series of. Paho communities um, from America to Eastern Europe to Australia and, and, and a whole bunch of other places. And, and the big thing is they're kind of weirdly fighting each other and at the same time kind of not. So let's forget that we are not. Let's forget the notion of separate practice. Let's remember that we're doing parkour and movement displacement is a pretty good way to go. Well, parkour also. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was a pretty bad way to go, but hey, that's what I've got. Cool. Let's see. You and I have, we just dove in the pool of anthropology. If somebody who's listening to this went, wait, this is what? Where's a good place to get started? I mean, go read the Wikipedia article. First of all, if you're listening, go read the Wikipedia article 
article on ethnography. Mm. After they've done that, is there a good place that you recommend somebody go if they're interested in ethnography or anthropology in general? Yeah, I mean, take a course. But the other thing about it would be, um, so Ray Ban wrote an amazing book about ethnography. One of the people who taught me, um, it's called Doing Ethnography. Pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. At the same time, go back and read people like Margaret Mead, read people like Greg Downey. There's so many people who are incredibly capable of, of delivering what this is. From neuroanthropology to cultural anthropology, just look up anthropology and, and, and chase it up. Um, I'd like to promote people looking that stuff up. That'd be great. Did you, let's see, we'll link word magic and what, is there anything you, I love when guests, oh, I love and I hate when guests ask me questions because then it's like, oh, I don't have to be real. But was there anything that you were thinking that you wanted to ask me about? Because I know if I remember correctly, you kind (laughs) of, when I said, hey, do you want to do an interview? You were like, what project is this? You know, like you hadn't, you hadn't seen it before. Um, So was there anything that like after having, you know, dipped in the pool a little bit that now you're like, wait, what's going on with? Yeah, man. So Craig, how do you feel about talking to the people? How does it feel in relation to, so I think I've been way abstract. Um, How does it feel to be in between the idea of people who are good movement people who want to teach you a whole bunch of biomechanics and then every once in a while we had extract people like myself. What has that taught you? Hmm. Being in a weird in-between. Well, I think at one level it's taught me how, well, like, whoa, you know, first world problems, super lucky to be able to have access. And I don't just mean, you know, because it's 2020 and everybody learned how to use Zoom. Like, things got a lot easier when all of a sudden everybody had to learn to use Zoom. It used to be a lot mm-hmm. harder to get people on calls. So just after doing a bunch of them, I've realized how lucky I am just to have access. And, I, and that, I mean, access in, in terms of like, yeah, the, the racial aspect, the, the, like, oh, it's nice that I'm alive in this period of time. You know, I keep going, well, people are going to look back in 300 years, whether or not they notice anything I ever did, they're going to look back and go, wow, what must have been like to actually know the people who started this? Also, like, there's this real confluence. I'm, I'm super aware of this confluence of like perfect, you know, things that came together for me personally. So that's one thing that took me a while to realize that. At first, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just interviewing people. I don't know what's going on. And then I, I like kind of zoomed out, you know, at one point when I got low, like, whoa, there's a lot of episodes here and there's a lot of people talking about this. Um, so that's one big thing, which was super helpful for me personally to sort of like get my shit in order. Like, yeah, you know, if something goes wrong, <laughs> that, that's, that's expected because so many other things have gone well, have gone right. Um, so that was like one big thing was just, the experience of doing it all and then like stepping back from it and going, yeah, okay, it's important to be cognizant that that's a thing. And I think the other part was, you know, and, and you touched on this before about, hey, you people over here, you need to talk, be more like and talk to these people. And you know, it's just, there needs to be more cross-pollination and more communication, which that isn't why I have communication like as my personal mission, but um, I realized that that's what I was doing. Like that was the thing I was just stuck on. So that having like, I don't want to say I had access to everybody, but having had access to everybody and having been the fly on the wall in a million other really great conversations, 
I'm just like, yeah, what the world needs, like everybody needs to just do this more, like, you know, have the luck of being able to, to maybe travel, maybe not travel, maybe do it virtually, but. But communication is an excellent yeah. personal mission. Yeah. It's a pretty good place to me. Yeah. Cool. Does that answer your question? Do you want? Yeah. Well, not unless you want to keep going. Uh, I don't know if I have a third. <laughs> It, it, so like having, you know, like hung out, I mean, I haven't hung out with everybody, but I would say there's probably nobody that is further than two degrees of separation. Like, you know, anybody, and you know, in it, like, you know, give me, like, not literally, but like, give me a name and, you know, I can ask somebody who would have direct access or at most, you know, a second step. So that kind of makes it like, I feel like I'm a kid in a candy store. Like, whoa, where do I want to go? And the imposter syndrome of the movement aspect of it is, is something that I continuously struggle with. Like I have had people say things to me like, wow, you really move really well. And anybody who's seen me move is like, what? But it has happened. And, I, and it's like a total like, huh, what are you talking about? All I did was I just did that one push up on the first day and then I just kept yeah. trying. So that physical imposter syndrome, I, the, you, you asked me like, what about the experience of all these, of this wide range of people that I've talked to? I've never, with, with like, I can think of, well, actually zero. I, there's nobody who's ever made me feel like I was a physical imposter in what I was doing. It's always been exactly what we all know it's supposed to be and what we say it is. I haven't encountered people, even when I've encountered people who have an ego or who are like, yeah, well, this is actually the thing. It's really this. They've never been like, and get out of here, fatso. Like it's never, I've never really gotten direct pushback. So that for me has been really helpful to be like, yeah, you need to get over that imposter syndrome. Can I can I say something here? And this is really important. I mean, it's the fact that we're having this intellectual conversation, but I would challenge anybody who's within the parkour community to think for a second and remember that time a 14-year-old kid turned around and said, what authority do you have to teach me? You're fat, old, and not able to do that 25-foot jump. Right. And, then, and then we have this entire, like, soaring... Not even subculture, primary culture, the way that YouTube stacks on hits. And then you have all these videos of people doing incredible things. I mean, I'm a big fan of most of the people who are doing giant movement stuff. But if you were to ask some of the youngest students that I've had, they're just like, what? Who are you to teach me parkour fatso is something that I've received. (laughs) <laughs> um, because I mean, the, what they think about is like giant, giant shit, and I don't want to name anybody. Yeah, yeah a spectacle. A spectacle. Oh, I'm wowed by the present. same spectacle that they're wowed by. I see. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Whoa. I mean, I mean, and some of those, some of those, some of those guys, mostly guys, again, incredible in their movement, and and some of the ladies coming up are also just incredibly amazing. But yeah, sitting down and and talking about it is a good way to get somebody to point a finger at you and say, why don't you move, man? Man, and see now maybe, now maybe I'm hiding because there have been a couple of awkward, like I'm normally the person like in the second or first row of any crowd, you know, like yeah. something going on, I'm there, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not like, oh, today your presentation is by so-and-so. So I'm like, yeah, I don't put myself out there for that kind of thing. I don't actually teach parkour like for fun or for profit. And I don't put myself out there as a movement uh, coach kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. Valid pushback on my, I haven't been actually criticized. No, no, yeah, no. because hey, I have hey, a privilege hey. and I'm hiding. 
hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying <laughs> like, hey, I can't do 25 foot jumps. I can't do giant roof gaps. I'm not making videos about traveling across the world and um, doing incredible lines in exotic places. All we can do is just do our own parkour, right? What? This is kind of a throwaway, but if you could have a, this is a classic Tim Ferriss. If you could have a billboard, one billboard anywhere, you know, like Times Square or Beijing, assuming that everybody who sees it can understand what it says, what would you put on it? Mm. Good question. I steal from the best. <laughs> yeah, like it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good question. Bloody hell, I don't know. Anything that I do will mess you up. Don't trust me. Mm. Would be the billboard. Oh, you anthropologist, you. <laughs> do you ever? Uh, did you ever have moments when you were anthropologizing? That's not a thing. When you were doing your research. Did you ever have moments, I know that you have to be aware as an anthropologist, I know that you must be aware of like, yeah, well, I can't not be in, you know, like I'm going to be affecting the people that I'm studying. Um, but did you ever have like really ver vertiginous, like, you know, like the vertigo of like, oh my God, I'm actually capturing something that's really important. Absolutely. So this is one of those moments where I get to plug, I'm delivering a course, but I've delivered many a time. The trick to being an anthropologist is to demolish your notion of self right off the bat. Like it's, it's a weird thing to do, but think about it this way, right? Anthropology is the science of humanity, right? Paleontology is the science of paleants. We're talking about obviously rocks and things. And, and any kind of science generally involves a human being looking at a thing. And that's a very comfortable position to be in. Mm -hmm. Anthropology is the science of human beings looking at other human beings. And that genuinely just is, is a really difficult and fucked up place to be. Yeah. So the big thing about that is that the first step to being a decent anthropologist is to just slice yourself down the middle, figure out how you work and then get vaguely close to the way that other people interact with others. Like the notion of bias is something that we take for granted. Anthropology is the science of people. We don't have a laboratory. We can't put a baby inside a closed chamber and blast Taylor Swift at them for the next 10 years to see the effects of Taylor Swift. We just have to see the effects of Taylor Swift on the baby in the general world. So it's crazy. You, you end up being a kind of weird tool of analysis. And the first thing that you need to do is become aware of the fact that you are the tool of analysis. So anthropology is something that I absolutely love. Um, it's one of those things that forces me to dissect everything that I say at every moment and every given time. Um, <laughs> and it is something that doesn't stop. My partner is... Uh, the burden she carries is something that we all like to, I'd praise her for it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What's a community, <clears throat> sorry, a community like thinking in the context of parkour, ADD, free running, what's a community that you wanted to get to, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I think the big one would be, um, me being me, me present as a tool of ethnography. 
Um, so here I am. I'm actually quite tall and broad-shouldered. I am a fit white dude. And there are places that I can't go. There are The neo-Nazis love me. But having said that, like, there are places that I can't go in terms of women and women of color and, and transactional communities. And I, I have absolute respect. I have no access to that. Yeah, And, if you and fair that, enough. You can do your work. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I am, as I said before, I am the tool of the ethnographic process. I am the scientist that gets to do all that stuff. And central is the idea that I understand my limitation. There are places I can't go. And, you know, couldn't probably do work on. Yeah. Cool. What about, so I'm always like, oh, there are things that I would ask you if we weren't recording. <laughs> there oh, are no, things please. that I will ask you. Uh, what I was going to ask you is like, who's, and from the anthropology, from the anthropologist's point of view, who's doing the most damage currently in the parkour ADD space? I don't know. I like the big thing for me is there's no such thing as damage. I mean, once upon a time when I was writing my PhD and all you have to do is go back and, and it's available. Like you can Google the PhD that I wrote. I was really excited about the idea that parkour is going to introduce or ADHD practices are going to introduce this conception of movement into a sport centric space. Mm. Um, because the reality is, the Western world is obsessed with sport. Um, we like to measure. Um, the beauty of parkour is that somebody like me, and again, I'm quite large, um, but at the same time, my upper body strength is great. I'm a Neanderthal, literally. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to be. I get to throw myself with my upper body strength, and it's not an issue. Um, but if you ask me to run for a long time, I'm going to get very tired very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a whole bunch of movements that come from like um, springing and striding that are incredibly effective. But there's also a bunch of movements that come from things like dinos and things like upper body strength. Yeah, so, so we get that kind of stuff and it allows our practice to sort of exist within this beautiful system where everybody is good at something. Here I am with my hearts and flowers. But what we end up doing is we end up standardizing and working towards some kind of perfected system mm -hmm. that completely locks out people like me. And this is something that I do get to present. I'm very heavy as a person. So I will never be able to stride like Callum Day or um, a whole bunch of those people. So it, it worries me. It worries me that we have this process where we're transforming parkour into a, a discipline that looks very similar to gymnastics while pretending that we don't like gymnastics. The whole fig, anti-fig process um, is really interesting to me because we fight the fig and we standardize ourselves in a way that really seems similar to what they would want to <laughs> Yeah, to fight it, you need to create a comparable thing that can fight against it. And 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 the simple, you the simple. Made, you also make yeah, points sorry. about like what, uh, like, can good companies like profit-oriented entities that teach or that create products or whatever can positive companies arise from within the community? And I and I think what you said was like, yes, it can. So, I will. I have always had the opinion that like, I'm not personally interested in being part of the fight against FIG. 
but I do love to wave. Max Henry was the first person I heard say this, like, I want it to be that when, what do you call it, like Purple Cow shows up, that there's already 17 clothing brands run by people who are passionate and are in the community. And there are 17 video, and like everything is all occupied with people who, whose heart is in it. And yeah, we're going to disagree with some of the way those companies have chosen to maneuver or what they've chosen to create. But I'd rather have the disagreement with somebody whose heart like is raised on the same thing kind of thing. So um, kind of coming back to that idea of like, yeah, I think parkour and ADD have problems, but it's nothing that I don't think the people who were involved can't solve. Like it's not, it doesn't have a, to say it doesn't have cancer but like it isn't like there's an inherent problem in the nature of the practice which leads to necessary disaster not at all i mean not at all i mean the big thing about it is and i guess the parkour panels were taking a huge swing at at, at the the commercialization that was happening at the time um if you look at um the the sports networks and the stuff that MTV was doing and you look at what Red Bull was doing, like that's the stuff that I really want to slag off. At the same time, people, people, bloody hell, like um, Movement Collective, there's a whole bunch of every single group of people who are really just manufacturing parkour stuff is fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% behind the idea of people who are doing good work. And I mean, hey, why not? Um, merchandise when it comes to moving well. At the same time, like we've got a whole bunch of accountability that we need to maintain. And the second that um, certain groups get to hang out in third world countries and exploit the notion that they're white to make videos about stuff that happens to them for the excitement of yes fails, we should probably take a second as a community and say, probably shouldn't be okay with that like yeah i mean so one of the things that i genuinely believe is that anybody who's part of this movement subculture gets to decide its ethics i have no commitment to the conception of a singular direction because that's gone that train has gone a long time ago i think we should be able to sit down and turn around and say when somebody takes away the notion of parkour to advertise stuff that's really bad for everyone. Mm. We should probably have an opinion on it. I mean, the only thing that generates us as a movement practice is the fact that we all practice together. And just like any martial art or any other movement practice before us, we should be able to sit down and have a strong opinion about what's okay and what's not okay. I like to think that parkour won't advertise things like alcohol because, you know, it's a lot of fun to do drunk parkour, but it shouldn't be something that we're all behind. I like to think that parkour will advertise things like, you know, exploitative tourist industries. There's going to be people doing that, but I don't like to think that's going to be part of our brand. So in a weird way, yeah, I guess I've got strong opinions about that stuff. Yeah, and and I kind of I'm okay with getting beat up about those. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you get, but yeah, I know what you mean about you're going to get pushback. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the big things that's going to happen is that not, somebody's going to turn around. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> and 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 one of the things that's going to happen is that somebody's going to turn around and say, 
I mean, the classic neoliberal conception, this is a movement practice, we all need to make a living. And why would you want to get in the way of this genuine engagement that these movement people want to have if they want to have a brand on their back while they're doing a thing? It's fantastic. And 90% of the time, that's absolutely fine. But one of the things that's really interesting about it is, I think the uplifting potential of this discipline, and I do in that wanky philosophical language, believe in it. The uplifting potential of this discipline is that we've come up with it in order to be able to deal with a whole bunch of fucked up stuff that relates to our environment. As an anthropologist, I think everything is adaptive. And and I think that the second that we turn around and we say, this adaptive thing should be integrated into the maladaptive practices I think that we're kind of defeating ourselves. And I mean, that's the pattern of the way things go. I don't know whether or not I'm making sense. Yes, no. Does I, that make sense? Yes, that makes sense to me. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the one of the things that took me a long time to learn is talking to people in conversation is like going to a well. <laughs> you know, you get buckets of clear water, but eventually you you went one time too many. So you had to, I had to learn when to stop. Um, so I think I will just say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Three words. Don't trust me. Brilliant. That's an <laughs> excellent way to demonstrate self-awareness. <laughs> Beautiful. Alex, it was, I said this to everybody, it was a distinct pleasure to get to talk to you. I, I was somebody that's been on my radar to talk to for a while, and I'm glad I waited as long as I did. And I'm pretty damn sure this will not be our last conversation recorded or otherwise. So it was a pleasure. Thanks again. Huge thank you for staying up or getting up to tolerate my East Coast time zone. Uh, Thank you, Craig. Pleasure.